Welcome to this month's BP Leadership Lesson. This month, you're going to hear a lesson from Bill Purvis titled, Seven Behaviors of Highly Regarded Leaders. It's a great lesson. I hope you're ready for it. Now, let's get started. This kind of social distancing stuff has got us all in a different normal now. Next month, I'm going to do a message along the line of how you get back into your new normal. I'm hearing more people talk about what do I need to do and what should I do and what have we learned. And so I'm preparing something now that I help. I hope will be of help to kind of get back along that line. And uh, that's my goal. In fact, I'll be glad to get back to that because uh, right now, this honeydew list that my wife keeps creating for me, that thing gets long. Every day, I think I finished it. And then tomorrow, there's another one. And I think I've repaired the house and cut limbs and grass. And I've just, I, it's never ending. And so I told her the other day, honey, you need to be running a corporation somewhere where you got a lot of people that you can give this to because this one employee just needs a break sometime. And so, uh, but it's been fun. It's been wonderful. And, uh, and I, I, I couldn't ask for anything better. But uh, it's been good quality time. By the way, I have heard this. I had a divorce lawyer tell me the other day that they've had more requests during this time for divorces and separation than any other time. So I guess some people can't live together. This has brought out the cracks that have been in their marriage relationship. Hopefully they'll work toward it, maybe go to a marriage getaway or something. But uh, there's, there's some good and bad. Some of us have had quality time. And for those that have had difficulties, I hope they can work on that and keep their marriage together and keep their family together and all the rest. So it's been a whole different normal. Today, I want to give you a lesson. This is one of the things that, that um, I share with you out of, I wrote this down, kind of came up on, uh, on my own with seven behaviors of highly regarded leaders. I thought about a bunch of people and I wrote their names down that I really regard as a tremendous leader. And then I wrote, if I were speaking at their funeral, what would I say about them? And so I began to write different things about different ones of those leaders. And then I took a yellow highlighter and I highlighted all of the things that they all had in common. And out of that, I found seven things. And they had a lot of leadership qualities, but I found seven things that the people that I personally know who are well regarded as a leader, all of them have. And so out of that, I thought, let me create a lesson called Seven Behaviors of Highly Regarded Leaders. And, and as a result of that, um, I, I hope you and I can pick up one or two or three or maybe all of them but I know every one of them will help. So let me just get right started, okay? Number one, the first thing I noticed was uh, they're honest. So I would say be honest. The role of leading is first learning to face reality, okay? A leader can't be a leader if they don't learn how to face reality. And you got to know what's working, what's broke. So that's the first thing. And, and, and their goal is not just to face reality, but to find solutions. You know, once I know there's a problem, I don't want to ignore it or put my head in the sand, or hope it goes away, I want to find what are some of the solutions? Who's done this before? How can I do this better? What am I going to do so that if I have a problem, I won't have that problem again? And so the starting point, I believe, of every great leader that I know of has been that they're honest. They do an honest evaluation. And, and here's what it does. If your clients or customers or your team knows that you're honest, you build credibility with them. And, and the beauty of that is, is that they're going to stick with you. In fact, even if they leave you, suppose one day those clients or customers leave. I had this even when I pastored the church. I had people that would leave and they would go somewhere else and they would get offended with me over some little something that, that maybe I was wrong about. I mean, I, I, you know, if you tell me you were wrong, 
my first thought is I probably was, okay? And so there's a lot of bad things you can say about me, and most of them probably true. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. But they would leave, and then I've had more of them that return, and they would return and say, you're always honest with me. You, you always at least were honest with me. And, and I knew where you stood. And, and as a result of that, they came back with a greater appreciation. And so what I believe is this, that if you're honest, it builds credibility. And credibility is what keeps the leader going in the long run. You know, I've said about integrity before. You can get to the top without it. In fact, you can get to the top faster without it. But you can't stay there without it. And, and the way you stay in a certain place is having that. And so when a leader builds uh, credibility by being known as being honest with them, it makes a big deal of difference. So I, I noticed that about all of those leaders that I'd written down. I said, every one of them were honest. In fact, one or two of them were so honest that when I would be in a discussion or need to call them just to bounce an idea off, I would evaluate, do I really want to hear them? You know, because I thought they're not going to, you know, they're not going to candy coat it. They're not going to just uh, ignore it. They're not going to make me feel good. And there were certain people, I would take a deep breath and say, I got to call this person because I want a good, clear answer for my problem. But at the same time, I'm not sure I want to hear it now because I know they're going to tell me. And, and, and it was always good to hang up the phone knowing maybe they made me see a side I didn't see, but they were honest. And, and so that's one of the first things you got to do. So always do that. I, in fact, today, probably about two hours from now, I got to call somebody that knows kind of mad with me about something. And, and, and I'm not, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Um, I, I hadn't done no crime, so I ain't going to pay the fine, okay? And I'm going to be as honest. And I, I'm almost thinking, you really don't want to call me. I, 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 you know, he thinks the longer I'm going to call, I said, I'll call after I get through doing this. And I'm thinking, you know, he really don't want to be because I'm going to tell him the truth. Now, if he loves me and we're fine, then we're going to grow on and go through it. If he doesn't, that's on him. And so I think for you and I, the best way to sleep good at night is just be as honest as you can be. Be loving, be kind but be honest. The second thing that I noticed when I wrote that list was I noticed that every one of those great leaders were visionary. Now, the beauty of that is this. Um, the visionary is that big picture. Um, Brent made a comment about me recently that I said, you know, that's a good, that's probably the way to say it. He, You know, this younger generation has a different term. He said, my dad always see, sees things from 10,000 feet. And, and when he made the comment to somebody else, I thought, you know, I think he's right. Uh, that, that is kind of the thing. If you can look over the big picture, and that comes to parenting, that comes to decisions you make, little or big, look at at the end of the day, am I going to do something that I'll regret later? Uh, if you just fire from the hip or you're reactive, sometimes you'll say, I wish I could take that back. And so that 10,000 feet observation is what most leaders have. They, they understand vision. They, they, they realize that Vision for them is saying, what do I want this business to look like? What do I want this church or this home to look like? What's the end goal that I would like for people to think when they think of my business? Do they, do they, do they know that if they do business with me that, that they're going to get their needs met? Do they know if they get business with me that, they're gonna go, that I'm going to go over and above and beyond to be the best I can be? And, and, and if you can have the mindset of what do I want it to look like, that's really the starting place. In fact, I believe this, vision comes before your map. Um, vision comes before your strategy. Vision comes before resources. Vision comes before the money. Vision comes before the personnel. 
and you won't know how to put the strategy together or the right people on the team. You won't have any of that without vision. And so, and this, by the way, helps you. I, I years ago learned when the church, when I was pastoring the church, the church, while we were little, I needed to get some higher quality people on board on the team. And so I realized I couldn't pay them what others could that were bigger places, but I could give them a bigger vision. And I, if I gave them the vision, that would make up for what I couldn't pay. And ultimately, they could get to the pay, but at that point, that people that really wanted to do something, they'll buy into a vision because they say, I'm going to get to go somewhere there. And you know that. So the secret there is going to be asking yourself the question, what's my vision? And once you get that settled, all the other things, the strategy, the money, the resources, the people, they will become easier to define because you know where you're going. And so that was the second thing I noticed. The third thing I noticed, and this one here is one of the things that um, that changes. It's hard. It's not easy because it's because you just can't put it in a box and leave it. And that is this. Um, a good leader, the well-respected leaders, they create a winning team. Now, on that aspect, what you're thinking is this. They have a team around them that are using their specific gifts and skills and expertise and education in that organization to make it work. And, and I, I don't know where I'm at and where most of the people that I talk to, their leaders are, the hardest part of all of the pieces to put in their business personnel or the business organization or their success is finding the right people at the right time. It's just, it's not as easy. I mean, because you, sometimes you feel like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. You, you got to find somebody who shares your values, but yet somebody who has the skills, not just to get on board, but do they have the skills to stay on board and keep growing with you? And if there's too big of a gap between the leader and the people, what happened, the people on your team, what happens is you'll feel it. The leader will feel it. The people on your team, they're either going to make you feel a lift or a load. If they feel a load, you're having to make all the decisions for them. You're having to carry them. You're having to make sure they're doing their job. Or they're going to come in and you're going to feel, wow, there's a breath of fresh air. They're taking the ball and running with it. And, and that's the secret. When I put together the BPL staff a while back, I said, I, what am I looking for? And I looked for people that were hungry, people that were young, that were teachable. And I found a great team. In fact, in every one of the areas, they're, they're, they're young and zealous. If I let that team get away and didn't lead it, I can promise you now, they'd, they'd get something done. It may be off the rails, but they're going to get something done. And so I get to give them kind of the expertise, but they bring energy, and, and, and it's, a, it's a big balance, and it works, and they're growing. And so the right secret is going to be the team. I, uh, I had a friend the other day. I was talking to him, and he's a tremendous leader. And, uh, and one of the things that he told me when he was telling me about his background is that he was the baby of 14 children. Now, I, I, you know, that alone, that's a whole lesson there. You know, I, I, 14 kids, I don't know, I, I had three, and I'm kidding, right? I couldn't have had four. I mean, three, three were a handful. So how in the world you had a 14? But here's what's interesting. He told me in his family, his mother and father could have run a Fortune 500 company. He said, mom and dad had every kid with an assignment. He said, I mean, every kid, you washed the dishes or you carried out the trash or you swept or you took care of the yard. But every kid, the parents found their gift and used it. And he said, our home ran like a company. He said, that's why every one of his kids, when they, his brothers and sisters, when they stepped out in this world, 
it was like uh, something easy for them. They weren't overwhelmed with responsibility. They'd had responsibility all their life. And he said, every one of us basically succeeded because as a child, we were taught to use some gifts and wisdom and help and be a team. And I couldn't help but think when I thought about that, man, there is a benefit in having 14 kids. And that is that you that you, you got a smooth running home and it's not all on one person. But uh, but here's somebody that, that learned it and it was part of their DNA. I do believe creating your winning team is going to be the key. And, and only you can do that. Sometimes you will outgrow the staff you have, the team you have. Sometimes you'll find out that they were good at one place, but they can't work with you to get to the next. Uh, it, I've always said that be careful about those that get their own agenda. All it takes for a team to break up is for one person to get their own agenda. And so you want to look for what, you know, what, what, what they have in their heart as well as what they're doing with their habits. So uh, having the winning team is another thing that I saw. I'll give you another one. That was this. Uh, number four was the, all of these leaders that I had written the list of, they, the best way I can say it is they understood the landscape. That is, they, they were kind of the right leaders for the right time. They, they understood what the terrain looked like at that time. They may not have been able to transition in another. We had, a, we had Coach Bobby Bowden here a couple of years ago, and I did a funeral a while back, and he was there, and so we got a chance to spend some time together. And uh, one of the things that, that he had told me was, was that the way he coached back then is not the way you could coach today. You know, back then, they were just tough on those team players. And and, uh, and and yet today, gosh, they'd write you up. You'd be sued. You'd be, you know, arrested for some of the behavior. Uh, and that's just the way it was. But they understood the landscape then. Today, uh, coaches have to use a different model, a different method, a different way. Good leaders are always aware of the people, uh, their their needs, they're aware of the realities of the business, what they can do effectively, what they can't do. They're even aware of their competition. They're keeping one eye open over there to say, what are they doing that's working? They're aware of timeliness, you know, whether to make a decision now. They're aware of bold decisions. Is it now's the time to make one or not? Uh, they're aware of, is this a risky move that's going to pay off? Uh, they're aware of whether it's time to play safe or not. They, they know the landscape. And they know, can I pull this off right now? We all get this. I get it all the time. I get invites to do certain things. And I evaluate, do I have the time to do that? Do I want to invest that much energy in that? And if it doesn't fit what's best for me or what's best for them, if I can't give it the best, why do it? Then sometimes you got to say no to things. And so the secret there is they always understood the landscape. One of the things about Sam Walton, I read his book about um, how he grew his organization. And one of the ways he kept dreaming was when he started, the first organization that was like his was Kmart. And they said that every week Sam would drive down to Kmart and he would walk through it and he would notice their products. He would notice the pricing. He would notice where it was placed on the shelf. He would notice their personnel, how they greeted people. He would notice everything about that store that he could. And it wasn't that he wanted to hurt them. You know, if you want to be number one, all you got to do is knock down all the other buildings in town. You can be the tallest building. But, but what he did was he went and learned from them. And he would come back and say, this is how we adjust. This is what we do. He was just learning the terrain, learning the landscape. And so that's what you do. In fact, uh, 
I, I, I may have heard a guy's feeling the other day with something. He was all excited about starting a particular business. And he said, I just want to get your insight on it. And when he shared it with me, I said, you know, up until this COVID thing came, that was probably a good way to build a business. But now it looks like the landscape's changed, and I'd be cautious about dipping in that water at this time. And and the reason is, I don't think he can do what he what he wanted to do as effectively now that there's a new normal out here. And so he'd be spending a lot of money trying to build an old model. And so learn the landscape. Uh, make the changes you need to make as the landscape changes. Here's, the, here's number five. Number five, the fifth thing that I noticed about every one of them was, They learned how to embrace change and evolve. Now, leadership knows what and when to change. Um, That's what they know. And and you've got to constantly be evolving if you're going to stay in the game. Things move way too fast nowadays. Some things you need to hold on real tight. Uh, For example, morals and values and principles and mission, that should never change. Whatever you're doing, your morality, your values, your mission, your principles, those things ought to be locked in concrete. And, and you don't change on those no matter what. I've often said it this way to people. If my, if my position offends someone, then that's too bad. I can't change that. Now, if my disposition offends someone, I'm sorry. I can change that. And so your positions ought to be solid and anchored. But there's some things you better hold on to lightly. Um, some things are just changing too fast. Your methods may have to change. They, they may change a dozen times. Uh, every time new technology comes or a new way of doing something comes, you got to be abreast of that and figure out, can we do that? Your personnel, as I mentioned earlier, they, they need to change from time to time. Uh, and, and then your strategies always have to change. What, what you used to get to your goal before may not be what you do now. I don't know if you realize years ago, if you ever read back the history of it, when football first began, it was nothing but a running game. That's all. There was no passing in the beginning. And then there came a time that they decided, let's open up and allow passing. And it was mocked and belittled. And there were coaches that held on to their old way. And of all things, what they found was in the first game that passing was allowed, they overwhelmed the other team. It used to be just three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, run, run, run. But as soon as they introduced the passing game, that changed the whole dynamics of the game. It changed the score as well. And, and in business, you got to learn now, what, what am I comfortable with that I can hold on to or what methods have I got or personnel or strategies that I need to decide this is the time to change and this can be changed and this helps me. And every one of those leaders that I'd, that I'd written down that I knew Every one of them had evolved with the time. It's kind of like the, there's a music group called U2, and, and the way they stay in the game to this day is they keep evolving. They keep changing. I think before he died, Prince was doing that. You know, he, he changed his name and all that, but he just keep changing. But that's how you stay in. You have to keep finding a way to change. Number six, here's the sixth thing that I knew about every one of these. That is love your customers. Love your customers. Now, we're all in the people business. Um, when you quit loving your customers, you'll be out of business, okay? And your clients and your customers will be loyal up to the point that they know you don't love them anymore. As long as they know you love them, you'll discover that they'll go the second mile with you. They'll stay with you, be committed to you and with you because they get something from you more than just a service. 
They get somebody that cares about them. And I really believe that when you love your customers, they know it. I, uh, I believe this, that people feel love. Whatever their race, whatever their age, they feel it. Uh, I, I've, I've had great relationships sometimes with little children that I could just sit down with and talk to. And, and, and you'll be surprised how much those children just feel it. I found it, you know, dogs do that. They pick up a vibe. I've never been bit by a dog because I can walk in a room where somebody's got a dog and ultimately the dog and I can befriend each other. Babies do that. I used to love the baby dedications where I could hold these babies. And, and the beauty of it is they can feel. There's more. There's a there's a Brazilian guy. His name was Ferricio Verdum. And a while back, I, I listened to him say something I thought was interesting. He walked up and sat down beside another man. And they were having this live press conference. And all of a sudden, Mauricio got up and moved his seat. And they said, well, you're supposed to sit here. Why are you moving? He said, I don't like his vibe. He said, you in America, you may not call it that. He said, but we know the vibe. We can feel the vibe. And I believe that's true. And so your customers even know, do they really care? Or are they just, you know, playing the game? And so the key is going to be, if they know you care, you're going to keep a customer for a long time. And you want that. You want it to be that went long after you retired or long after you're dead and gone, that people say one thing about them, they love me. I know this, that they, they, they seriously took me for more than just a client or a customer. Number seven. Here's number seven. This was the one that I don't think you can say this one too much. I knew this about all of those people. But I say this about any business you're in. Communicate, communicate, communicate. No one communicates too much. No one does. You got to do it a hundred times and you got to do it in a hundred ways. Never assume that people have heard what you're saying. I used to know this as a communicator. I'd say there's what I said and what I thought I said, and there's what they heard and what they thought they heard. And, And most breakdowns were always with communication. And communication is one of those things where it's it's not just saying the word, just knowing that there's a connection. Uh, you know, that anybody can say words. There's a difference between communication and connection. Connection's when suddenly they're with you. I'll give you an example. I was with a friend a while back preaching. This is probably four or five years ago, and and he he was very knowledgeable. But when he would get up to speak, he would just start off a message along about suffering, and he would say. I want to talk to you about suffering. And he had a great message. But the way he talked, it, it came across as a lecture. And he called me and he said, Bill, can you help me? Because I'm more of a communicator. He said, Bill, can you, can you help me? He said, for some reason, this message burns in my heart, but I can't communicate it like I want to. And it's almost like people start watching their watch five minutes into it. And I said, Dan, I've been hoping that you would ask me. I mean, I, I love you. I wasn't going to intrude. But I'm going to change your life, Dan. I said, are you ready? He said, yeah. And I said, here's the deal. Dan, what people don't know is you and your, your wife on your honeymoon. This was his wife that he had loved. He better through high school and through college. And then on their honeymoon, she got run over by a car and killed. And I said, now, Dan, they don't know that about you. So when you stand up and talk about suffering, they think, well, what's he ever suffered? What do they know? And I said, I know that for you, it's a little painful and you're not, you're not, you don't share that because you don't want to think you're using that story to connect. But then they're not connecting with you because you haven't put yourself in that place to show them you have credibility. And then if you'll open your, your messages from now on, when you're doing that message, 
and tell them where you were. I promise you, they'll be sitting on the edge of the seat taking every note. Dan tells me after that, Bill, it worked. He said, it worked. He said, I mean, immediately I could feel in the room the difference. Well, the reason was he connected then. See, people don't connect generally with your strengths. They connect with your weakness. They don't connect with your successes. They connect with your failures. You got to tell people, I've been where you are. I know what it's like. I've, I've been on that situation. And, and, and that works. And I'll give you that. Before, years ago, I had a heart bypass, and I, and I couldn't help it, but I would walk by in the church even, and I would see somebody that said, Pastor, pray for me. I'm, I'm going in tomorrow, and they're going to do a heart bypass. And I would pray for them, and I, would, and I felt bad for them, and I would say, I sure will. And they were on my heart. But you know something? After I had one, when I would walk by, they said, Pastor, I'm having a heart bypass. I mean, it was like I stopped everything. I shut everything. I'd say, oh, let me pray for you. And I was, I felt what they were going through. And so th- there's a difference between communicating and connecting. And your goal in your business is how do I connect? How do I, what do I do that makes you know that we're in this together? And so communicating has got to be done in many different ways. Now, uh, I, I believe this, that when we communicate enough, I used to do this as a, as a church. I didn't, I, I never got excited when I'd be in a staff meeting and they'd say, we passed out, you know, 5,000 brochures. We're doing Easter. We got 5,000 brochures and we, we put, we're on the radio and we're on the TV and all that stuff. That didn't excite me. I, I, I'm grateful that they threw all the hooks in the water. But what I wanted to know is not what we were talking about in the staff meeting. Uh, that's kind of like that, you know, I always said, uh, doing business without advertising is like winking at a girl in the dark. You know what you're doing, but nobody else does. And so I would say, look, you know, I appreciate us being in the room. we got this mutual admiration side and talking about all the effort we made. But until I feel a rumble, until I hear the people, my neighbor, step across the fence and say, hey, Pastor, I, man, y'all got that Easter thing going everywhere. Y'all got signs in every yard I look at. Pastor, y'all, what are y'all doing for Easter? When I hear the people that don't even go begin to talk, then I know we've made the connection. But I, and so I was. I would always say I haven't felt it yet, and they knew what I was talking about. What I was saying, I haven't felt the ground rumble yet. When I feel the ground rumble, I'm going to run into somebody that I don't even know, and they're going to tell me what's going on at the church. Then I'm going to know we made the impact. And so the secret there is going to be communicate, communicate, communicate. You can never do it too much. You ought to do it enough that people finally get saying, "I am sick and tired of hearing it." Then you know you communicated. And so I say those seven behaviors. Here's what I say. Focus on one of those and you'll see a difference. Focus on a few of them and you'll feel the difference. If you master all of them, you will be different. And, and that's what you want to be. What makes you different than anybody else? You want to be that one, okay? I've enjoyed sharing that with you today. I, I'm grateful. I love every one of you. I can't wait for the time we get back together as well. But that's the lesson today. Those seven behaviors of the highly regarded leaders that I think we have in common. Thank you for tuning into this month's BP Leadership Lesson. Each month, we share these lessons at a live luncheon to anyone in the Columbus, Georgia area. If you would like more information on dates and times of our upcoming luncheons, you can visit bpleadership.com.